by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would reveal yourself now through your word, that you would give us an understanding of your word. Lord, we approach your word with the respect and with the reverence that it deserves, Lord. And as we expound on it, Lord, that your spirit, Lord, would allow us to do it justice tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, Amen. You may be seated. It's an interesting time where we are in the book of Nehemiah now, a very impactful book. Because today we're going to learn how important the Word of God is. You know, recently I've had the opportunity to talk to not one, not two, but a few pastors of different ages, and it, the Lord has really spoken to my heart even up until the time that I was driving here tonight on how important the Word of God is. In fact, when you come to church, the Word of God is the goal. <laughs> the goal isn't something else. The goal is an understanding of the Word of God. And if we don't leave church tonight with a greater understanding of the Word of God, then we have missed the entire mark. Right? So many times we move away from what it is, what church means, what, what, what it means to collectively come as the body of Christ instead of going into the Word of God. And in Nehemiah, we see that in the, from chapters 1 to 6, and if you love taking notes, I'm going to give you an outline of what the book is about really quick. From 1 to 6, because we've hit that half year, halfway mark now in the book of Nehemiah, 1 through 6 chapters, you see the reconstruction of the walls. The reconstruction of the walls. Chapters 1 through 6. But then chapter 7 through chapters 14, the next half of the book that we open up today, is the reinstruction of the people that built the walls. First the reconstruction, then the reinstruction of what took place. See, the reconstruction has finished now, but now there's a reinstruction. Through a man that was a cupbearer, we met him as a cupbearer. He was introduced to us as a wall builder, and then he moved into a governor, the cupbearer, the wall builder, and the governor. God moved him into different seasons of life for different seasons of ministry. And understand that, please. That God will move you into different seasons of life for different seasons of ministry. And now you see this taking place. That now the wall is built, but there is a revival that still needs to take place. The revival is not simply in building walls. That's not important. It wasn't so much about the walls. I want you to know that. Now we can say that. But it was about what was going to take place inside those walls of safety. So please don't idolize the walls. It was about what would take place inside those walls of safety. And we see that Nehemiah does such an incredible thing now. Let's read here what it said as we've already read it. It said, then, it was, then the wall was built that I hung the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. What does Nehemiah do? From ruins to restoration. The, the walls are up. The gates are up. And what does Nehemiah do, do? He appoints the singers and the priests. Now, to serve in the house of God. They weren't serving in the house of God because there was no safety for the house of God. So if there's no safety for the house of God, there was no one serving in those places. He appointed two, two, two kinds of offices here. And we see them that in verse 1, he appointed singers or worship, right? 
And then he appointed Levites or priests to teach. So what are the important things? Why is it that the walls are being built? So that there can be worship and the study of God's word. It wasn't about the building. It's about what was going to take place in the building. The worship and the teaching of God's word are the core essentials of why the wall was built. The wall was finished. Let's get the singers in there. Let's get the worship in there. And let's get the priests who were going to teach the word of God. The wall was finished. That was the purpose. The purpose was to keep a safe environment so people can come into the house of God and hear the praise, right? The worship, the praise, and they can hear the word of God. If we're coming to church and we're not hearing the worship of God, we're not collectively worshiping God as the body of Christ, and we're not going into the word of God, then we're wasting our time. We ought to come for the word of God and for the worship of God, right? But look what happens now because Nehemiah is fully concerned about what was going to take place inside those walls. And I want you to be fully concerned about what takes place inside the walls of your house. I want you to be fully concerned about what takes place inside the walls, even of your own life. What takes place inside the walls of the church is so important. What is taking place? Because the core of what the church is, is founded on the Word of God. And look what happens here, because this is amazing. We're learning all about leadership here. In verse 2, it says, then I gave the charge. And I want you to underline that if you're a student of God's Word today. Then I gave the charge. Who had the charge at that time? Nehemiah had the charge. But you know what's interesting about Nehemiah? That he wasn't scared to give the charge to someone else. <laughs> That's why you know he was a great leader. Because he was in charge, Nehemiah at the time, he was the governor. But guess what he does? He gave the charge away. Then I gave the charge. Why did he give the charge? What is it saying that he did right here? Is that he gave away the responsibility. Now he passed it along now to someone. I love this about Nehemiah here. That he didn't hold on to a title or to a position too tightly. And that's exactly what made him usable. When you start to hold on to a position or to a title or to power or to influence so tightly, guess what happens? God cannot use you now. Because you're in love with it. You're in love with the power. You're in love with the attention. You're in love with the, with the eyes on me. But what is it, Nehemiah, what is he willing to do? He's willing to say, it's not about me. Let me give the charge to someone else. And what is this? What do we learn about Nehemiah's leadership throughout this entire next two chapters? Is that he led selflessly. It wasn't a selfish leadership where everything he had to do was about him. It was selflessly where he was able to give away responsibility. You know the most influential leaders, the most leaders that make the biggest impact in other people's lives are the ones that are willing to give away responsibility. Now Nehemiah was willing to give responsibility. He, he made himself usable. He didn't hold on to it tightly, right? Because he wasn't in it for political glory. He knew that he had done the work that God had called him to do, but he knew that now he can let it go. You know, it's interesting when God called you to do something, but now you know, you know, now I can let the responsibility go. And God would still use him in Jerusalem because of that way. You knew that he knew that his place now was not to stay in charge, was to pass the responsibility to someone else. And understand this, he wasn't using the wall to build an image for himself. 
A lot of times when we try to build ministry up or try to build our homes up or a career, whatever it was, we use it as a way to build an image for ourselves. Nehemiah is saying, it's not about me. I'm not going to use this as, as a way to build an image for myself. You see a lot of people at church and ministries and, and, and as the ministry is being built, guess what else they want it to be built? They want themselves to be built, their image. I talked to a pastor that told me this week, you know, I'm, a, I'm pretty a high profile pastor. Oh, look at you. In whose eyes? In whose who, who's eyes? <laughs> You're high we're nothing, and guys, we're disposable. It's interesting when you see it here because Nehemiah said, I'm not going to use the wall to build an image for myself. The ministry, the church, the building of what God is doing, it's not a way to you, for you to build an image for yourself. And look what happens here in verse 2. And I gave the church of Jerusalem, look at it here, to my brother, Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of Citadel. Do you remember this guy in chapter 1? Who went up to Nehemiah when he was at the palace? It was his brother Hananiah. And he went, and it's interesting that now you see him seven chapters later, that he was there all along with Nehemiah, his brother. And he was the one that demonstrated this genuine, genuine interest and in, in initiative, right, and concern that made him now qualified to govern. He said, I'm going to pass it on to my brother now. But he didn't say, I'm going to pass it along to my brother. I'm going to give my brother the responsibility, the title, the position, because he's my brother. <laughs> you know, there, there's been times where sometimes it may seem that others in responsibility or in now authority are given opportunities because that's his brother or that's his best friend or, or they, they know each other. In ministry, all around, I'm not speaking, just right here. But look what it said, I gave them the, 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 here the charge to my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, who is Hananiah? That, a person that was supporting his brother, the leader of the citadel. Why though? Why? Because he was my brother? Because I loved him? Because I knew him for a long time? Because I liked the way he talked to me? Because he was a yes man? No. You know why he gave them responsibility? Because he was, he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. You want to be given a role and a position of responsibility? You want God to entrust you now with more? A lot of us always want God to entrust us with more. And we're blessed when God adds. And we're blessed when God now multiplies. But we hate it when God subtracts. <laughs> Here now he was promoted now to a different place in ministry. He was now the Lord raised up Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother. Because for six chapters, guess who was there? It was Hananiah and Hananiah. They were just there the whole time. From the time that they demonstrated the initiative of concern. And guess what made them qualified to get more responsibility? It was that they were faithful and that these two men feared God more than many. That's why they were given the charge. They were faithful, God-fearing men. Faithful, God-fearing men and faithful, God-fearing women are those that are put in positions of leadership. And I love the way it starts. Because you can be God-fearing, but then you can, you can really stink when it comes to being faithful. <laughs> faithful and God-fearing, it's what puts you in positions now of leadership. Why? Because you can't trust someone that is not faithful and that is not God-fearing. And if they don't have those qualities, if they don't have the character of faithfulness and God-fearing, 
they're going to be a liability in the ministry. They're going to be a liability to really expose them to higher levels and capacity of responsibility now because they're not faithful and God-fearing. They can't be trusted. They haven't been tested yet. This is why these men were, faith, were qualified. Because they were faithful and God-fearing. You see, on the other hand, you sometimes had very gifted people. But they're not faithful and they're not God-fearing. And guess what happens when they're serving God? They become very frustrated. And ministry is a burden. You know why? Because they're not faithful and they're not God-fearing. So it becomes a misery for everyone around. You know, think about how many times we've loudly proclaimed our loyalty to God. Uh, and we, we want to be a leader. We want to be able to serve at a higher capacity. We know that we're qualified. We've done it before. I love what Alan Redpath said. He said, how many of us have loudly proclaimed our loyalty to God while we desperately are unfaithful to the simple tasks given to us in His service? How many of us have loudly proclaimed that we are loyal to God, but we have been desperately unfaithful to the simple tasks that He has given us in service? Think about the simple tasks that God has given you in service. Have you been faithful with the simple task in service? that qualifies you as faithful and as God-fearing. Now he gives a charge to these people that are faithful and that are God-fearing, right? But then he says something else. And I said to them, not only did he give them the charge, he also gave them the instruction. Great leaders give charge, but also great leaders give instruction. And I want us to understand that because we have to be fed off the accountability of our leaders. Oh, thank you because you gave me the charge. I'll do what I want. No, you gave me the charge. Also give me the instruction. Verse 3, And I said to him, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open. Now that the gates are established, do not let them be open. What does he tell him? I want you to be gatekeepers. I want you to make sure that you know what comes in and out of those walls. Do you know what comes in and out of the walls right now? Do you know? Do you know what comes in and out of the walls of your heart? Are you there at, on watch guard? Protecting the walls of what's coming in and out of your house? Do you know what's in your house? Maybe as a watch guard, protecting what's coming in and out of the church? What's coming in and out of your own life? Because he told them, I want you to be on guard and I want you to make sure that, well, that you do not open the, the gates of Jerusalem. Do not let them be open until the sun is hot. There's, until there's an absolute need. Do not open the gates until it's the hottest part of the day. And while they stand guard until it's absolutely necessary. And then while you have people there as guards. You see, we are to be careful when we open the gates to our hearts too. When we open the gates of our mind too. And once we open those gates, there has to be, we have to be on guard. Lord, I'm opening my heart to this right now, but I am on guard fully because I want to protect myself and I want to be in God's will. Think about that. Look what happens here. And while they stand guard, let them shut the bar doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Appoint guards from where? Don't hire guards from outside. It said here, and appoint guards. Appoint guards from the residents of Jerusalem. You know who the guards are to be? Don't expect the guards to be someone from the outside. The guards are those that live from the inside. And this is what he's telling them right now. Leave no room for compromise. Don't just leave the gates open all day. Leave them closed. Leave the bars closed. 
And if you open them, it has to be an absolute necessary need and you have to have someone on guard while the doors are open. And always then after that, choose from the inhabitants, choose from the residents of Jerusalem. Here it says, to be one at his watch station. How does your watch station look? The watch station of your life. Have some at the watch station, look what it says, and another in front, where? Of his own house. This is amazing here. Because he's teaching them to stay on guard. Stay on guard. What, what is he doing here? He's saying, I want you to grab from the residents, keep some at the watch station, and I want you to grab some of them again, and then put them in front of their own house. Why? Because that's where the guard matters most. In your own house. At your home, in your heart, in your mind. Make sure that they're there at their house. Appoint the guards at their house. Appoint them at their watch stations. Why? They had just completed a tremendous victory now had been won. The gates are hung. The walls are up. They're rebuilt. Yet the walls could not protect themselves. <laughs> A lot of times we think that everything's okay because the walls are up, but guess what? The walls cannot protect themselves. It's not okay just going to church. It's not okay just attending or, or saying, I'm going through the motions of serving the Lord, or I might read a little devotional today. It's not okay to just hang out and know people that are Christian. And you must go deeper than that. And here he tells them, we must go deeper because the, the walls cannot protect themselves. We have to be diligent watchmen. And diligent watch women. Are you diligent today to watch for those areas that maybe are open when they ought to be closed? You know, often a victory maybe is won, but then the next one is lost because there is no guard. Because of overconfidence. And the enemy might come in or sneak in because nobody's watching, right? The, the, the walls can be climbed. The walls can be now uh, simmer cracks through them, right? No one's there to stop the enemy now. Uh, because if the enemy sees that there's a guard there, guess what? The enemy can easily turn away. That's why we have to keep ourselves on guard. Now the city was large, verse 4, and spacious. But the people were in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. Now he sees a need in this is amazing. You know what Nehemiah is? He's an observer. That's why he became a really good leader. Because he was an observer. He didn't have tunnel vision. The walls are up, I'm done. No, he, he was an observer. He was a visionary. And you know what he said? The walls are up, but guess what? Now, there's, this is a very spacious place. The city's large, but the people are few. And, and the houses are not rebuilt yet. So he sees that there's a need. And now he wants to measure what the cost of the need is. And he says that then, then my God put it in my heart. And I love that line. Then my God put it in my heart. It wasn't a desire of the flesh to count the people. It wasn't a desire to number the people like some would want to number their own kingdom to see how strong they are. He understood and Nehemiah had the discernment that we've talked about in previous weeks. The discernment to know that this was a desire that God put in his heart. I think that when God puts a desire in our heart, we better take that desire to the throne of grace and say, Lord, is this a desire that, we, that you put in our heart or is this a desire from the flesh? Because just because you have a desire in your heart doesn't mean it's of God. And that's why we have to take it to the Lord. And he said, then God put a desire in my heart. I can guarantee you that this man, a man of prayer, 
tested that that desire was from God and it wasn't from himself. Right? And what does he tell us now that he's about to do here? As he, God put that desire in his heart to gather the nobles, the leaders, and the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. What is he going to do? He's going to create a genealogy. He's going to find out how many people came from captivity and were rescued and escaped captivity of Babylon and came back to Jerusalem. Why? Because it wasn't so much about the place as it was about the people. And I want you to realize that. He finally sets up all the walls. He's in Jerusalem. And guess what he wants to do? His main concern is the people. He wasn't addicted. He wasn't obsessed with his walls. He didn't finish the wall and said, look what we built. Look at the walls. Look how amazing they look. Look how great of a job that we did. Oh, I remember when we had no walls. And now look at the walls we had. No, it was not about that work as much as it was about the people that were going to benefit off that work. And he's so concerned, he wants to know who they are. So from verse 6 all the way to verse 73, we see a collection and a gathering of names of all of those that have come and they were rescued now from Jerusalem, right? From Babylon into Jerusalem because of the desire that God put in his heart, right? And you know what he tells us from verse 6 all the way to verse 73? Of how much people mattered to Nehemiah. How much their, here, look at this. How much their names mattered. That Nehemiah was so willing to write every single name down. Did the names and the lives of people matter of those that are in ministry? And, and he wanted to see who are those faithful that returned from captivity into Jerusalem. Because he saw the need, he measured the need. And he knew it wasn't about the building of the work. It wasn't that important as it was the benefit of that work that would take place in the lives of God's people. He knew that in the whole process, he was teaching them how to work hard. He knew in the whole process of building the wall, he was teaching them how to work together. He knew in the process, he was teaching them how to work through adversity. He knew how he, he was teaching them how to work through the attacks and he had to work till the job was getting done. See, he knew that when he invested in people, he wanted also for them to be a part of that process. Sometimes we want the Lord to build a wall, but we don't want them to be a, be a part of the process of how He builds the wall. If you want to see the Lord build something, it's, it's a process of you learning what it means to work hard. It's a process of you learning what it means to work together. It's a process of me and you learning what it means to work through adversity, to work through attacks, to work through struggles. And it's a process of us learning that what it means to work till the job gets done because that's the process of building character. When God has you building a wall, He also has you building character. Do you understand that? When God is restoring you, guess what He's also restoring? He's restoring character. He's restoring integrity. He's restoring devotion. He's restoring dedication. That's the process of building a wall. But now we go to chapter 8 here. And this is where we really see a revival spring forward now in chapter 8. But because we see revival now at the water gate. Revival at the water gate. Something is still missing. And Nehemiah realizes this. He realizes it's pointless to have a wall well-constructed. Well it's, it's pointless to have the superstructure that's so impressive to people if there's little or no life taking place inside. 
And sometimes we see a, a, a grand spectrum of things taking place outwardly, but inside there is no life. And that's why I think more and more today we're being impressed with all the wrong things. We get impressed with buildings. We get impressed with production. We get impressed with maybe a, you know, culture of a church or whatever it would be. But it's about the Word of God that brings the life in the church. Nothing else brings life in the church. The Word of God brings life in the church. Dr. Orr, Edwin Orr, defined revival as this. He said, it's the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. And I'll repeat that for you. It's the Spirit of God revival working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. That's what revival looks like. It doesn't look like a social club. It doesn't look like some hype and some noise. It looks like the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. If it's not about the Word of God, then what is it about? It's just fluff. It's just entertainment. It has no depth. It has no meaning. But here we see that God's Word and the response now of the believers to God's Word is what sparks now a real revival. There is life. When there is no word, there is no life. You can have all the movement, you can have all the show, you can have all the fluff, all the attention, be making all this noise, but there is no life because there is no word of God. That's what we have to remember to preach the word of God faithfully regardless of the consequences. And I'll tell you, today, in today's age, we are the minority now teaching the word of God. The, major, the majority is not teaching the word of God. Right? It's important that we know that because it encourages us to read this in Nehemiah. It's interesting. We don't even need Matt's opinion. And sometimes you see someone speaking, it's all about my opinion, and then I'll, let me sneak in one or two verses in there. That's not what people want. People need the Word of God. They don't need your opinion. That's why when you go to people and they're going through problems, I'll tell you, we don't counsel. We give them biblical guidance because it doesn't matter what you feel or what you think. <laughs> it's what the Bible says. What do you think about this? Well, it doesn't matter what I think. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Because the Bible is what changes people's lives. And that's why we have to expose the Word of God. And we have to expound on the Word of God. Are you exposed to it? It's not until you are exposed to the Word of God that you can expound on the Word of God. You know what you see Nehemiah do now? Discernment. He has discernment now. And because of the discernment, he's able to now distinguish between these long-term and short-term objectives, what should take place after the wall is built. Do you have discernment to realize between short-term and long-term objectives? Because here he avoids completely tunnel vision, now Nehemiah, of viewing the entire whole scene of the project of what God called him to do in his own contribution only. He had a bigger vision of that. He, he observed the whole project and he, he fit it into the bigger picture of what was the point of the wall. Sometimes we get so caught up on the wall that we forget what was the point of the wall. The point of the wall was for the Word of God. Don't limit your vision to just simply your contribution of the work. Because then you become selfish. A lot of the times we, we limit our vision to just our contribution of the work instead of stepping back and looking at the entire big picture of what God is actually wanting to accomplish. It's not simply your contribution. 
Your contribution fits into a bigger scheme of things that God wants you to observe so the calling and the work can get completed. Do not turn the wall into a monument for yourself. Do not turn the wall into a monument for yourself. Have a leadership style of unselfishness where you're willing to do this. Step aside now. Nehemiah, the wall is built. Guess what he does? He steps step aside <laughs> because he knew it was time for the priest to step in Ezra. I think it's amazing when you see someone with that much strength in leadership, that much confidence in what God called them to, that they're willing to step aside and say, you know what? We need fresh reinforcement now. We're not going to make this wall about Nehemiah because it was never about Nehemiah. And from the very start, Nehemiah refused all the temptation to turn this wall project into an ego trip where it was about himself, right? He was satisfied to take a, the place here of, so to speak, an Indian, right? In the midst, and not a chief, in the midst of other Indians. How many times you see now, have you heard that illustration? And you see all these people lined up, I want to be the chief amongst all these Indians. But guess what? It's not your tribe. <laughs> It doesn't belong to you. It's the Lord's. And He's in charge. Nehemiah said, I'm not, it's not about me. So he steps aside in verse 1 of chapter 8. And it says, now all the people gather together. How do they gather together all the people? And I want you to look at this in your Bible, please. Because it says here, as one man in an open square that was in front of the water gate. As one man, and, and please underline that in your Bible, as one man, they gathered together at, with a unified purpose, unanimously, in unison, united together as one man in the open square. Where? In the water gate. In the water gate, because they're about to drink of the living water. <laughs> That's amazing. You want to drink the living water, come to the water gate because that's exactly where the Word of God is expounded on. They go to the water gate as one man because the Word of God was about to do the work. It's amazing that Nehemiah said, I'm going to give the Word of God the place that it rightly deserves. Give the Word of God the place that it rightly deserves and go to the water gate so you can drink from the living water. And it says... And they told Ezra, this is amazing. This is where you bring your pen and your highlighter out. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book. <laughs> you know what today the church says? Bring the lights. Bring the screens. Bring now the entertainment. Bring the show. The church said here, the, we want to see a revival. Bring the book, Ezra. Wasn't this amazing? That where did we see Ezra? We saw him in the, the book previously, the book of Ezra. He came in with the word of God, and then it was the work of God, Nehemiah. And then again, Ezra shows up again with the word of God again. The work of God is always there simmering and being birthed in between the word of God. Not emotion. It was the word of God in the book of Ezra. It was the, now, chapters 1 through 6 of Nehemiah, the work of God. And chapters 7 through 14, again, the word of God. It's amazing how it's so surrounded by the word of God. That's when you know it's the work of God. Because it's going to be surrounded by the word of God. You want to test if it's a work of God? Is it surrounded by the word of God? Then it's a work of God. If it's not surrounded by the word of God, then it's not a work of God. He tells them, bring the book. 
That is number one. Bring the book. Bring the law, it says here, of Moses, which the Lord commanded Israel. This is amazing here because they gave importance. They gave preeminence, the priority to the book. Why? We need the Word of God, church. I pray that today that you would be more concerned about the book than about anything else. That whenever you leave your house, you take the book with you. How many of you of us even take it to work? Do you take the book with you? Bring the book, it says here now. So verse 2, look what it says here now. As we know that the need is for the word of God, not for production. It says verse 2, so Ezra the priest, here we go, brought the book. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. He brought the law before the assembly and the man and the woman and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Everyone who could understand, who was of age to understand, was there gathered with one unified purpose here. In verse 2 it tells us, attentively to hear the word of God. But it tells us here in verse 3, then he read from it. Bring the book. He brought the book. Read the book. <laughs> How simple is that? Read the book. You want God to use you? Bring the book. You want God to continue to use you? Read the book. And it says that he read it from the open square that was in front of the water gate. From morning, look what it tells us here, until midday before the men and the women, those who could understand, and the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. You know what happened to them? They were so attentive, their ears, to those that were of age to understand. They listened, I'll tell you this, closely. Does the Word of God get you to the edge of your seat? We're like, I can't believe it's the Word of God. I want to listen closely with ears attentive. From morning, here it says, until midday. You know how long that was, that span that he describes there? It was about a span of some six hours. You guys think we're going long today. <laughs> it was a span of some six hours that they were listening closely to the Word of God. It was about the Word of God. I find it so strange sometimes how we can wait in lines that are so long. We can sit through movies that are in three hours long. But we can't sit through a Bible study that's less than an hour long. I hear these stories about the Jesus people movement when they were two-hour Bible studies. And I say, God, I wish that one day we can get back to that. Where people weren't looking at the time because they wanted to hear the Word of God. Look what it says in verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform. What does Ezra do now? He stood on a platform, and this is amazing what happens here, of wood which they had made for the purpose. A platform with a purpose. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And I want you to write that down, a platform with a purpose. He stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood here, Ma here Matitha, Shema, Ananiah, Urijah, Hilkai, Messiah, and at his left, that was at his right, now at his left hand, Pediah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, Hasbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Now please, do not try to repeat these names at home. I'm just kidding. 
And it was at his right hand and at his left hand, these men that were standing next to him, and he was standing up on a platform that they made for the purpose. You know what this speaks to us? That God has given each you a platform, and it's for a purpose. <laughs> but make sure you know that that purpose is for the Word of God. A lot of times we think that God has given us a platform, but we use it for our purpose. No, the platform that God has given you is for His purpose. It's made for the purpose of the Word of God. What kind of platform did God give you at work today, at school, at home, with your friends, with your neighbors? Did He give you a platform? Lord, you just set up a platform for me. Then stand on that platform with the purpose of God's Word. Because this platform that he, they gave to Nehemiah was for the purpose. And, uh, and this is amazing that the people around him, you know what they did? They made it out of wood. They did practical little things so the Word of God had the greatest effect. We want the Word of God to have greatest effect and do the little practical things. And stand on that platform that God has given you so that you can fulfill the purpose that God has given you. And that purpose is the Word of God. What's incredible about this verse is that you see now these names of people that are standing on his right hand and they're standing on his left hand. And these are men now supporting the teaching of the Word of God and obeying the teaching of the Word of God. You want to have an effective now revival? Then get people around you that support the teaching of the Word of God and that obey the teaching of the Word of God. We're never going to see the Lord do a big work in our lives until we are surrounded by people that want the Word of God as much as we do. If they don't want it as much as we do, look what it's on your right hand and your left hand. You don't have people that want the Word of God, supporting the work of God. You're not going to be able to see a transformation takes place. In verse 5 it says, Then Ezra opened the book. I, love, I hope that tonight you go back home and you open the book. And you stay moments with the book opened. In the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, all the people, this is amazing, they stood up. My goodness. You think about the silence that was taking place in that water gate. That he opened the book now, and the people stood up. He was, he, he was not full of shame. He was very bold about what was going to happen. And they stood up in reverence, because they were eager to hear the Word of God. They were eager to know the Word of God at that very moment. And look what happens now in verse 6. But it says, And Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands. Now he, he started to praise God. And the people were singing, Amen and Amen, while they're lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Talk about fear of God. See, it took for men that were faithful and God-fearing to now give now birth to other men and women that are faithful and God-fearing. Because it was all motivated by the Word of God. Look at verse 6 is telling us. They answered, Ezra stands up, he opens the book, he blesses now God. They answer, Amen and Amen, and they lift up their hands now. I think it's important that we come to church and we're willing to lift up our hands when we praise God. Because it's a sign of surrender. But now, they, not only do they lift up their hands in praise, they also bow their heads, they get on their knees, and this is face down worship. And they worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. Face down worship in humility. You know what evokes face down worship 
and humility, the Word of God. Because He opened it, and now they're learning what true worship is. You'll never know what true worship is if you're not opening the book. You want to know what true worship is? Then open the book. Because that's when you become a true worshiper of God. When you know the book. You can lift your hands and you can put your face to the ground with an attitude of the heart and saying, you know what? I am, I am singing out thanksgiving. I'm singing out prayer. I'm singing out praise now. These are all good measures of how the Spirit of God and the Word of God works in the people of God. It's the Spirit of God working in through the Word of God in the people of God. And they're learning to be true worshipers of God because they open the book. But think about what happened here in verse 7. And Jeshua, Banai, Sherebiah, and Jamin, Akab, and Shabbatiah, Hodijah, Messiah, Keladai, Azariah, Josabab, Hannah, and Peliah, and the Levites. Think about what they did here. They helped the people understand the law, and the people stood in their place. What did they do? What was the goal? To help the people understand the Word of God. That is the entire goal of coming and gathering together. More than fellowship is to understand the Word of God. Not anything else. It's to come to our gathering so that the Word of God is clearly explained now and it's clearly understood now. And in verse 7 and 8, it says, look at in verse 7. So they read distinctively. They read very carefully in verse 8. They didn't, they didn't do anything else. They read very carefully in verse 8, it says, from the book in the law of God. And they gave sense. They gave sense and helped them understand the reading. Do you know when you know when you have a healthy church? When people understand and know the Word of God. When they're lovers of the Word of God. They're not lovers of the man teaching the Word of God. They're lovers of the Word of God. And look what it says here. It tells us that they gave the sense. You know what they gave the sense means? Is that they gave them application to God's Word. They let them understand God's Word. They didn't give them an inspirational quote, a motivational speech. They let them understand the Word of God. Because the Word of God was a priority. It wasn't, the priority wasn't to entertain them, to impress them, to wow them, to amuse them. Anything like that is failure. It didn't matter how many people are around. It wasn't the opinions, the favorite topics of Ezra, the passages, but it was an understanding of the Word of God. That is the goal. What is the goal? To understand the Word of God more. So that you can give the sense. So you can apply the Word of God in your life. Apply the Word of God in your life. And you know how when they apply the Word of God in their life, they had a response. Because they understood the Word of God. And you know when you give the sense, you teach and expound on the Word of God, it brings conviction to the hearts of people. A lot of times the reason why we live in no conviction is because we don't know the Word of God. The Word of God is what brings conviction into what cuts the hearts and the deep is places of our lives, the most secret, intimate places and private areas of our life. The Word of God will, will go there. <laughs> we don't want no one else to go there, but the Word of God will go there. And look what it says in verse 9. After they read distinctively and gave the sense. It's amazing that we find our distinctives in the Word of God. That's what sets you apart, the Word of God distinctively. And Nehemiah, who was the governor... 
Ezra the priest and the scribe of the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, it's, it's important to have teachers of the word of God. But look what it says. This is the holy, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn, do not weep for all the people who wept when they heard the words of the law. People started crying when they heard the words of the law. <laughs> they started weeping, they started mourning because they understood how far they had become from the word of God. They started to weep and to mourn. They, they felt now conviction out because there's power in the word of God. If you go to church and you never feel conviction, it's because it's not the Word of God is not taking place in your heart. But it says that they started to mourn and they started to weep. Why? Because the Word of God comes with strength and convicts like a double-edged sword. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everything in the Bible is given and inspired by the Spirit of God and is profitable. It benefits for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is what the Word of God does. The Word of God in Hebrews 14, 12 tells us that the Word of God, it's living. The Word of God is powerful. There is life in the Word of God and is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and marrows. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God knows your thoughts and knows your intentions and knows your motives. It exposes and surfaces those all and it shows you that you need the Lord. That is what the Word of God does. But think about what these, now these priests, now Ezra, what they're doing. This day is holy. This day is a day of celebration. Don't weep. Don't cry from the guilt, from the conviction that causes you repentance. I'll tell you this. Conviction is not meant for condemnation. And I want you to know that. The conviction of the Spirit, it's not meant for condemnation. The conviction of the Spirit is meant for restoration. And I love con conviction is some of the most beautiful things you can ever feel in your life. Because that's the beginning of restoration. When it's applied by the Word of God. It's not meant for condemnation. I, I, I want you to know this, that, that our knowledge and your knowledge of sin should never be bigger. Your knowledge of sin should never be bigger than your knowledge of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who forgave you of that sin. You should never get caught up in the sin because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to stop you in condemnation. And here, you know what the, the Ezra the priest does and all these other now brothers and the faith and the sisters that, that we belong to as the body of Christ do? He says, stop crying. Your, con your conviction is not meant for condemnation. It's meant for restoration. And, and, he and he's going to lead them now to be restored. What does the Word of God do? It convicts so that it can restore. Why don't we pray today? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for the book. There's something special that happens when the book is open. I pray right now, Lord, that you give us a heart for the word of God. That you would say, give me the book. That we would come to the water gate to drink of the living water and nothing else. I pray for any desire that you've given us, Lord, 
I pray that we would test it in prayer to make sure that desire is from God. I pray, Lord, that you would raise us up from being faithful and from being God-fearing. Raise us up, Lord. We're going to continue just a few moments, not too long right now, but a few moments. And I want us to just stand right now, just right where you are, as these people stood. And maybe grab your Bible. And if there's a verse that we read today that maybe stood out to you, we're going to spend 10 minutes right now and just, I want you to pray out loud and read that verse. Because we want the Word of God to be number one so the Spirit of God can work through the Word of God and the people of God. And why don't we lift our voices with the Word of God and with prayer, asking Him to move in our midst.